Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. And that's the Sorcerer's Apprentice right there. You sound even better than the Philadelphia Orchestra, I gotta say. Thank you. I, yeah. You know, I just hired you. What were they thinking? Yeah, my kids now do that from time to time. They sing along. They just randomly start doing the Sorcerer's Apprentice theme, just singing it like that with the da 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 da's. I mean, it's catchy. Yeah, yeah, I enjoy it. So yeah, we are talking about Fantasia today here at Making a Disney Fan Podcast. I'm here with our very own Bacchus. Bacchus? Who is Bacchus? Uh, Otherly known as Dionysus, you have before referred to him as Fat Caesar. Fat Caesar, oof. That better not just be because of my weight. No, you're just (laughs) the, the life of the party. (laughs) <laughs> okay yeah, Brandon you're the life of the party I'll take it that's yeah. nice plus there's a very few amount of characters in this movie well that, that is true I knew it was going to be challenging <laughs> <laughs> alright um, then we're also joined with uh, the best thing I could think of for you Sarah was the mother Pegasus in the same sequence alright and then oh, that's fine with me sure yeah and then I am uh, Yen Sid <laughs> Otherly known as the sorcerer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. I definitely feel from time to time to you know stand over somebody that's smaller than me, giving them a stern look. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to sense. point out you chose the best character for yourself two weeks in a row. I say weeks as if we don't do this a few weeks apart, but like, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, well how, okay. Well, Brandon, how about this? I could make you Chernabog. I don't know who that is either. The giant demon lord. Yeah, you know, that's 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 cool. Yeah, you want to be Chernabog? <laughs> sure. I yeah. want to be the dancing hippo. Oh! I'm very graceful, you guys. Okay, yeah, that, that dancing <laughs> yes, hippo I've is very Yes, I've always graceful. known that about you. Okay, yeah, so. I'm known for that. Today, somebody thought I walked into the glass door at work, and they were not surprised. I didn't, <laughs> but they were like, yeah, that makes sense. Are you sure you didn't, or is that just a cover story? Or... I'm positive, because it would have really hurt. <laughs> Okay. okay, so now we are changed up. We have Chernabog, Dancing Hippo, and Yen Sid <laughs> here to talk about Fantasia. Actually, maybe Zach could be one of the little dancing mushrooms. <laughs> the dancing mushrooms? He's a little energetic guy. No, that would be the dancing thistles, then, the ones doing the full Russian dance. Oh, yeah, that's even better. Because, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, do you remember me do- at the at the winter formal? And we booth? Had, yeah. Okay. And then, I don't know, I was a, never stopped dancing and I had, you know, big flailing limbs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do not, but I was always very distracted by the magician. <laughs> yeah. So. Yes. I just remember Gangnam Style being a thing. <laughs> mm. Well, Gangnam Style, Russian dance, you know. Yeah. Kind of similar. <laughs> very, very classic and traditional booth you see thing. <laughs> yes, of course. Okay, so 
uh, memories on this on this film. Uh, Sarah, I'm going to ask you about your memories, but I'm also going to throw in what did your daughter think about this movie because you've been watching them with with your. Um, how old is she now? She's not three yet, is she? She's two. Okay. Yeah, almost two and a half. Um, okay. I'm going to start first by just saying if my voice sounds a little funny today, it is because I have been very sick. So please excuse that if you notice it, people who are listening, <laughs> but we're going to power through. Um, I have zero memories of Fantasia. I, watching it now, didn't even remember all the segments. Couldn't tell you the first time I watched it. I just, I don't remember it. Uh, I did try to watch it with my daughter. We made it an hour in and she said no more and wanted to watch something else. But she's been really into Beauty and the Beast lately. So that's what we've been watching instead. So, you know, I'll take it. Have you have you shown her our episode on Beauty and the Beast? I don't think she would sit and listen to a two hour <laughs> podcast. But, you know, maybe when she's older. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's it for me. No memories, unfortunately. She'll be old enough once we finish. Yeah. When <laughs> we get through, we get through all of the movies. By the time we get through. Although they keep adding movies, so. It's true. This <laughs> podcast will just never end. Yeah. So, on to you, uh, Shannon uh, Bog. <laughs> uh, honestly, memories. I'm I'm with Sarah. I really got nothing when it comes to Fantasia. Uh, I, I remember watching it at one point because I remember The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's also just like the classic Mickey Mouse with the blue hat and the robe like this. so like there I know I've seen it but I I remember watching Fantasia 2000 more than I remember watching Fantasia mm -hmm. and that's that's not credit to Fantasia 2000 by no the way. <laughs> just more recent yes yeah exactly like Fantasia 2000 is far more recent and more more accessible yeah and it's you know, Half the length. Yeah, it's yeah. shorter. So if a teacher was going to play a movie, they would more likely play Fantasia 2000 than they would be playing Fantasia. Yeah. Yeah. So on to me with my memories. I have a lot of memories of Fantasia. <laughs> this is one that my parents bought when I was when I was really little. Like there was a 1990 or 1991 VHS release of it, and they decided to just pick it up because it was a big thing. You know, widely regarded even at that point. And me, when I was three and stuff, my me and my brother would watch that movie all the time. It was one of those VHSs that that got worn out. Yeah. <laughs> and is I also have a memory of it because for some reason we had the VHS clamshell. It was a black clamshell, but we knew it was Fantasia, even though we wrecked the paper that was in it like we had pulled me me or my brother had pulled the paper out or ripped it and there was no paper on it but the black clamshell was fantasia oh yeah I, I remember that <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah it's just fantasia just became one of those things that i enjoyed but there was a, a good stretch that i didn't get to watch it because a i didn't have a vhs and b they didn't have a dvd for the flipping thing for years right. so yeah. when they i was collecting up my dvds and moving even on to blu-rays Mm -hmm. Um, they released a four disc special edition, which had both Fantasias on it. And I found out that they were releasing and I'm just like, 
Finally! <laughs> They're re- doing this, and it just made me so happy that they did that. Yeah. And it also became, at, at that point, I just started watching it more and more, and it became a thing with, with me of how much I, I love Fantasia, and I talk about it a bunch, too. And I got kept getting things about it, like I wanted to get some figurines and stuff for, for Disney, and my brother decided to get me some uh, figurines of the Mickey Mouse and the and the brooms and some and mushrooms he managed to find them in like a online ebay or whatever yeah so now i've got a whole bunch of fantasia things all primarily on mickey and the sorcerer's apprentice yeah uh, yeah and, and our now, listeners can see pictures of those on our instagram right yeah yeah, yes. yeah they will be shared <laughs> mm-hmm. and yeah i've also introduced them to my kids they watch them all the time it's one of those ones that's really easy for them to get it to to watch and they and they sing along with it now. They when they hear the Nutcracker Suite, they say Fantasia. They don't say Christmas. That's, that's funny. cute. <laughs> yeah, and it's just it's just a wonderful thing. Oh, and there was one year at Booth I dressed up as Mickey Mouse from Fantasia. Oh, I think think you weren't there for that year. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't I don't remember that. I think you. Were, yeah, I I ha- got myself like a big red bathrobe and mm-hmm. a r- robe, and I managed to make myself a hat and, and some gloves, and it was. It was a pretty easy costume as long as you can make the hat and like a, a like a simple hat and with some ears. Yeah. So. I feel like it's almost triggering a memory for me, but I'm not totally. I'll sure. send you a picture of that that one to yeah. post as well, just just for our fans. Yeah, we can <laughs> throw it on our Instagram too. <laughs> throw it with all my other Mickey's Sorcerer's Apprentice things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that is that is definitely my memories of this of this film. So, uh, on to Brandon for our newbie recap. Alright guys, what's up? It's your boy here. Talk about Fantasia today. Fantasia is what happens when a bunch of Disney executives say, perhaps we can make cartoons appeal to distinguished adults. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the best way to describe it because it's basically just eight different selections of classical music. Or is it seven? I don't remember uh, anymore. Eight, if you include Ave Maria as its own. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, seven or eight selections of classical music with animation from Disney Studios to kind of create a visual image, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, It kind of is broken up into parts. Uh, You can see the Philadelphia Symphony Orchestra, and you can kind of see them playing their instruments, and... It's a big blue background for this, so like their shadows are kind of cast on. Like it's kind of a cool look, but it's basically they got the MC of the night. His name is Deems Taylor, and he basically like introduces and describes all the segments, which is handy because a lot of the stories don't track logically if you kind of <laughs> aren't told what's going on before. Especially the first one. Yeah. So. Yeah. So like it gets it gets explained by Mr. Taylor, and <laughs> yeah, Mr. Taylor, that's funny. I just <laughs> thought of that. So yeah, he is. Oh yeah, he's like describing all the stuff that goes on. Um, so we start off with the music, and it starts with Takata and Fugue. How do you pronounce yeah. that? Fugue. Yeah. It is in fugue. D minor. In D minor, which is great music 
Mm-hmm. I I have the like the organ version on my classical jams playlist on my Spotify. Nice. Yeah, I I personally really like really like it. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there's not much to be said about this entire segment of film because nothing really happens. It kind of looks like the classic, you know, like Windows Media Player when you put like oh, yeah, songs yeah, yeah. on and it would just like play your music in really weird waves. Yeah, no, that makes sense. <laughs> That's pretty much all it is. Um, I called it beautiful but meaningless. That's mm-hmm. that's how I felt. The next up was the Nutcracker Suite, which is the everyone knows the Christmas time ballet musical. Mm-hmm. Um, a funny thing I, I like about the introduction with that one is he's like, oh, it's a, you know, ballet and nobody really plays it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, everyone plays it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's huge. It's one of the main, main things now. Um, so yeah, this is about, like, fairies. They're out dancing by a pond. It kind of looks like a very similar character model to Tinkerbell. I don't know exactly, I don't know how much further Peter Pan is from this film. Uh, I think about either 1953 or between 1953 and 55 so like 13 15 years but like the fairies are made pretty much identical to how tinkerbell looks i Mm -hmm. guess like it's very very similar model Um, yeah i wrote down tinkerbell vibes yeah for sure yeah um they dance for a bit and then it kind of kind of goes away then there's some mushrooms that are dancing Mm -hmm. i I thought it was fitting because it, I felt like I should be on mushrooms for this. <laughs> like, it's like, I feel like I'm missing mushrooms in this equation. But yeah, so there's mushrooms dancing. They all look like dicks, by the way. But honestly, that's just mushrooms. That's what Tyler said, too. I Like, I'm not sure if you can avoid it, but it's yeah. just it just looked like a bunch of dancing penises after a while. Yeah, I was watching it and Tyler was in the room and he said that and I was like, I I did not see that at all. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the like first things I saw was I mean, I wonder what like Freudian what that says about me, I guess, but like yeah. <laughs> but like to me it just looked like a bunch of dancing phalluses. So yeah. Um <laughs> then we ditch the mushrooms and we go into the fish. It's time for the fish. The nutcracker suite is still playing, by the way. This is like through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um so now we're with fish with like weird eyelashes and stuff. They swim around for a bit. Uh, I have a note that says that fish is a baddie though. I don't remember what that is. I think that's just because the fish is like all dolled up with makeup and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which sure is, looks familiar. Which is weird. Does it look familiar? Looks like the fish in Pinocchio. Oh. Cleo. Yeah. It's a longer tail. Yeah, much longer tail. Their faces are pretty similar. I mean, when you have the design, what's... Uh, And we know Disney reuses animation, so... Yeah, they they reuse animation a lot. So yeah, then then we return, we we leave the fish, and there's these weird flower stuff that kind of dance... Like a Russian dance. Yeah, yeah, the Russian dance ones. That's, yeah. Um, I really love that those ones because it's just so intense and it's just like, but the animation's really good and the yeah, dance moves like it seems like they're actually legit bad, doing yeah. doing a, a Russian dance, but they actually still look like thistles and flowers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we like kind of return to the fairies, 
that I wrote here that this is where I noticed that the story just doesn't track logically because I completely forgot what this story was about. <laughs> like I don't remember I don't remember what James Taylor said to me before it started, but I no longer had a grip on what they were trying to get at with this. Um, there's a bunch of falling leaves for like two or three straight minutes. Mm. And I just like, could you imagine being the animators of that? Like it must've taken so long back then considering it takes so long now to have to sit there and like, you're going to animate a leaf for the next like 20 weeks. Well, yeah. <laughs> and from, from what I understand, the animators actually were incredibly proud of Fantasia and like all the, all their specific works and they, pioneered a lot of techniques in order yeah. to get these these specific I mean, yeah, effects. I'm, I'm sure but, they are. I, I mean, were. you get a lot of, like, even full-blown painters that just paint, like, even just, like, landscapes and stuff like that. Yeah. Like yeah. It's, it just seems weird to have this whole movie and then, like, it would suck to be the animator that just has to animate leaves. <laughs> um, anyway, so the leaves become, like, fairies ice skating, which becomes, like, snow flakes that are like flying through the air with fairies on them and that's the nutcracker suite mm -hmm. um, again i i lost track of what the story was on that one but it it's is the seasons yeah and it's kind of like the fantasia is is transitioning from the the almost no story and moving forward to where there's you know still slightly more narrative but not a, not a firm narrative and then the next sequence is, is is entire narrative. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. But that next sequence is The Sorcerer's Apprentice, which is, of course, the one that everybody probably knows out of Fantasia, even if you've never seen it. Yeah. Um, it's just something that probably gets, like, <clears throat> psychically lasered into everyone's brains while they're asleep at the age of like six weeks or something because <laughs> everybody seems to know about the sorcerer's apprentice well uh, not even by name it's just like seeing they just know mickey yeah they know the outfit. mickey they know the, the yeah. rooms the scenario i wrote down that it is a mickey mouse classic because it is if you're trying to look at like classic mickey stuff or like steamboat mickey like all of those like you have to mention the sorcerer's apprentice it's a big a big moment for mickey mouse yeah so there's this wizard he's got the big hat and he's like just making magic while mickey gets bales of water from a well and pours it into this thing and the wizard like makes this like glow in the dark or like giant butterfly looking thing and then he's done he gets all tired so he like takes off his hat and he goes to sleep and mickey gets all excited so he takes his hat and he like performs magic on a broom so that the broom can pick up buckets of water and basically do Mickey's job, obviously. So the broom starts carrying the water. Mickey decides, screw it, I'm going to sleep. So Mickey <laughs> sleeps and he sleeps through quite a bit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> quite a bit. Because when he wakes up, there is... Um, Oh, no, he has a dream. He has a dream first. So he's sleeping, and he's, like, moving around the stars with the magic from the hat. And he's, like, controlling all the waves and everything, which kind of, like, eases him into waking up as he's, like, controlling the waves. He realizes that the entire, like, lair is... It's not an apartment. It's, like, a lair. Do you call it a... Is it a lair? Sure. 
What did what did like Merlin live in in like the King Arthur books? Is that a layer? I want to call it a layer. Okay, yeah, we'll call it not? a layer. So the entire layer is uh, flooded, like Mickey's floating kind of flooded, because the broom just will not stop carrying the water and dumping it into the thing. I don't really understand how physics work or why there's no drainage in this layer, but there's there's no drainage. And it just keeps flooding. Um, so Mickey like freaks out and he grabs an axe and he tries to chop the broom to pieces, um, which is surprisingly violent. Yeah. It was surprisingly violent. Yeah, like it showed the shadow on the wall and he's like, cha 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 cha. It looked like a pretty devastating axe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, he like murders this broom very violently with an axe. Um, but then they all like magically turn into smaller brooms who all start carrying water. Um, he like, he chopped up the brooms, but he didn't chop up the buckets. So why was there suddenly like a million buckets? The magic of Disney. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> so Man, that eye roll. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah, so they inexplicably have a million buckets, and they're all carrying water, and Mickey tries to, like, bail the water out through a window, but it's not working, and it causes this whole, like, vortex in the water that kind of just, like, pulls Mickey around, and he's trying to, like, go through the book to find out how to, like, unmagic the water. Even though the water is not necessarily the issue, it's, like... Or the magicked up thing, it's the broom. So, like, stopping the broom wouldn't necessarily stop the water. It would still be there, but it, whatever. Yeah. Um, so he's, like, spinning around, and suddenly, after assumedly hearing all of this for a very long time, the wizard just decides to come back and stop it all. It's like he's on the other side of the door being like, all right, that's enough. My my lair is about to be destroyed. And finally comes in and just, just stops it all. Um, Sounds like my parenting style. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How far can I let this go before I have to interfere? <laughs> yeah. So um, he hits Mickey with a broom. Mickey runs off. That's pretty much the end of The Sorcerer's Apprentice. It's a rather simple story. Um, we get a nice clip after the, the episode, you can call it. Mm-hmm. Um, segment. Segment, yes, after the segment of Mickey meeting uh, the, the conductor. Stakowski. Stakowski, yes. And he, like, talks to him for a brief second. It's all in, like, silhouette or mm-hmm. shadow. Like, you don't see, like, the classic details of Mickey or anything, but... You do actually hear him talk, which is something that they don't show you in The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it is kind of cool to have that like classic Mickey voice presence after the Mickey segment. Yeah. So we moved in. We move into the Rite of Spring, which is an interesting little segment. It is basically following the formation of the Earth right through the dinosaurs. Deems Taylor explains we're going from, like, single-celled organisms to dinosaurs. So, like, we show Earth forming. Like, we see space before... I guess technically before we even knew what space looked like. Like, what they show as our galaxy or whatever didn't 
doesn't look like what we know is the Milky Way galaxy, which I thought was kind of funny, but it wasn't far off, which is a nice little yeah. educated guess, I suppose. Well, I mm-hmm. think that they knew a bit about... Yeah, the, I mean, the... there's a lot of astrology and stuff, or astronomy. Yeah, Ooh. don't mix up those two. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to do that. There's a lot of astronomy. Yeah. That, like, they learned by that point. But, like, yeah, it was, it, it didn't, it was space before we knew what space looked like. We see the old Earth, the old moon, and go on the Earth. There's a ton of, like, volcanoes erupting, which is how we, um, like, know the Earth was like back then. I guess mm-hmm. we were still forming, like, the land and everything. So there's a ton of volcanoes erupting, lava rivers. It starts to get into, like, the formation of life from, like, the small single-celled organisms and how they start reproducing. They get, like, a little bit of a community. There's this, like, weird fog that kind of comes around. Just the passage of time. Yeah, it was like, yeah, passage of time. Um, and then we get a fish, and it shows the fish, and he, like, does some stuff, and then the fish starts walking, and then that, like, transitions into the dinosaurs, and we see, like, the Loch Ness monsters, who are just probably just, like, bugging everybody, trying to get about Tree Fitty. South Park fans will understand that reference. Not yeah, that I imagine not. very many South Park fans are watching a <laughs> Disney or listening to a Disney podcast. You never know. You never know. They're going to catch that reference and they're going to be like, wow. I have seen one South Park episode. <laughs> yeah. The Jonas Brothers one. I don't even think I've seen that one. <laughs> I've it, seen it invo- zero. It, it, it involves a real, <clears throat> yeah, a, a Mickey executive. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. So, yeah, we see we see the Loch Ness Monsters trying to get their tree fitty. Uh, we see the flying dinosaurs. I wrote here, this is the moment of the movie where I decided that I was, all caps, so bored. Mm. Um, I, I agree. The, yeah. The, the uh, Rite of Spring is definitely my least favorite. Yeah, it's it's very slow moving. Um, the music is nice, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like the storyline progression is just so, so bored. And, yeah, luckily, it was after ap- this one that Daisy that, made me turn it off. Yeah. yeah, and luckily after that moment of like so bored, it, that that sequence does pick up a little. It, bit. it picks up a little bit. I thought it was funny because it, I had an idea that they didn't have a firm grasp of what raptors look like. <laughs> they were like raptoring around, but they had like the long neck necks. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe they should have watched Jurassic Park before they made this. But yeah. some of the long necks look like the long necks from the Land Before Time. They do. Mm-hmm. Is Land Before Time Disney? No, no that one is um, Don Universal Bluth. Don Bluth. Oh, interesting. Okay, so yeah, I was um, <laughs> just thought it was funny. They had no idea what raptors look like. For a little, to summarize a large chunk of it, I just wrote dinos just doing dino stuff. Sure. Because that's entirely what this segment is. It's just dinosaurs dinosauring. Yep. We get the T-Rex. I wrote the T-Rex is a savage because they like, he's got red eyes and he's a monster. There's a dino fight. T-Rex, of course, king of the dinosaurs, wins. There's a super dramatic dino death, which I thought was pretty cool because it died like three times. Like, we oh, watched yeah. that tail hit the ground, like, three times. It was Just like, to make effective use of, yeah, that, like, of that moment in the score. <laughs> yeah, all right. Um, uh, that, that, that just makes me think of this one really funny fact. In the, the Stegosaurus is the one that's fighting it, right? Yeah. The Stegosaurus is fighting it with the, with its tail. Yeah. The, the part on its tail with the spikes actually didn't have a name for a long time. 
it actually ended up getting its name because of a of um, Farside comic. Oh. Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> Larson, he showed like a caveman thing doing like a uh, instructional like, and this part is is named the Thagomizer after our dearly departed friend Thag. <laughs> and then sign, and then the sci- like scientists literally there wasn't a name for it before. Then they're just like, we're gonna call it the Thagomizer now. That's re- that's really funny. I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, T Rex is king. Stegosaurus dies. The one thing I thought was very interesting about the Rite of Spring, and probably the only notable cool thing to discuss coming out of it, is that at, in nineteen forty, I guess they assumed that the Earth just got hella dry. Yeah, and created a dust bowl like they hadn't had the asteroid theory. I'm guessing. No, no. Um, which mm-hmm. is the now generally accepted like reason for the dinosaurs mm-hmm. going extinct. But it's interesting that that's not the way they do it because they move into like the dust bowl theory, which is very old, but probably what they've believed back then. I didn't even they... think about that. Well, yeah, the, the dust like even so that the, the asteroid theory is what could cause a dust bowl kind of deal true yeah that's true so it is yeah it still kind of works out so dust bowl is still kind of a but, part yeah. of the theory but it is only a, a a part of it yeah but you know if they knew about the asteroid theory yeah. then they would have included it in the cartoon because it's yeah. more dramatic yeah yeah um but yeah so I, I just thought that was actually neat that they probably hadn't had the asteroid mm-hmm. theory yet um so the earth gets dry there's no water there's very dramatic dinosaur deaths we see the t-rex die in a very dramatic like flop down um then like the sun goes away and then there's a giant earthquake that kind of explains how all the bones got buried Mm. and that's the rite of spring according to a very quick google search it seems that the theory of the asteroid was from 1980 Ooh, so but that was a very quick google search so yeah Mm. Fair. But oh. even so, it's decades after this came out. Yeah, Yeah. if it's true, it's 40 years later, so... Yeah. Honestly, if I was to cut any sequence from this movie, it would be Rite of Spring. It is long. Yeah. Really long. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And... Yeah. Knowing that, like, Fantasia 2000 is, like, an hour in some, and this is, mm-hmm. like, two hours in some, I feel like Rite of Spring should have got cut. Yeah. But then again... Again, that's not crediting 2000 yeah. at all. It's not no. a great but, follow-up. Yeah, if, yeah, but if there was any segment I would cut, yeah, Rite of Spring is the one I would choose. Yeah, Everything else I enjoy much more. Because <laughs> they're also shorter and they have difference. Even Takato and Few uh, is, has a nice flow to it because it's the whole piece and, it's, and, and the images are so constant and... And it just is a nice piece. Yeah. Right of Spring is just, there's so many parts that are just like, all right. Yep. But my kids love the dinosaurs. I was trying to get Daisy into it. I was like, look, dinosaurs. And mm-hmm. she was like, nah. Nope. No. <laughs> no, James loves the dinosaurs in Fantasia. That's fair. So right after this is where we get our intermission, which yeah. is kind of funny to have in a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I like I've seen it in movies. I know a lot of like Bollywood movies and theaters and stuff have intermissions and stuff like that. Did Sound uh, of Music, of, Sound of Music, and Lawrence of the of Arabia. Didn't yeah, they? they did as well. Um, so I mean, it it was definitely a thing. It's just one of those <laughs> odd little like. <laughs> you had an intermission with your favorite movie because it was on two different VHSs. 
That That's is true. true. <laughs> that is true. And I still remember the exact point where the movie switches over. Like when I watch it on Blu-ray, I can sit there and be like, this is disc two, or this is take two. <laughs> just, be- nice. just before the slap, right? Just before the slap, yeah. That's right where it stops. Um, so yeah, we got an intermission. Uh, the conductor said, we are going to have a 15-minute intermission. And I said, oh dear God, no, and turned it off. Yeah, I uh, skipped it. Yeah, so I came back the next day. <laughs> it's like, that was a little extra long intermission. <laughs> um, but... We got back in. Director comes and he introduces the soundtrack, which is kind of a cool little just string of light. Mm-hmm. I guess it's, it's a cartoon again, kind of like some like Pink Floyd kind of stuff. It's kind of again like Windows Media Player. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just similar to Takata and Fugue. And like considering, like even now we can actually look at the sound waves of these of these instruments and stuff as they play and yeah. stuff and they're not far off yeah but yeah so it basically just goes through a bunch of instruments that like this like the orchestra has so we started off with like a harp and then we moved into like a string instrument so we had a violin and we saw how it did its line thingy we saw how the flute did its line thing we saw a trumpet we saw like a bassoon um which i always thought like you couldn't actually just like play a song on a bassoon but I thought it was just like bass lines maybe, but mm. they played a pretty cool song. Yeah. I mean, I guess the chick on Only Murders in the Building played a bassoon. <laughs> but, yeah. Second bassoon. Second bassoon, yes. <laughs> and then we got a bass drum. It was a neat little segment. Probably only useful to explain why we needed to have all these orchestra and things. But, whatever. Yeah. So I, I thought it was really cool how the, how the different instruments showed different like sound patterns and stuff and it was really cool representation for him like including yeah. the bassoon where it's just like a, like the low instrument was like yeah and then the erratic nation er, nature of percussion yeah it was neat but after that we got to the pastoral symphony which is beethoven yeah it's his uh his fifth yeah it's good we get a whole intro to this which is very useful because again i lost the meaning behind this one as it went on but it kind of tells a story of like greek gods and stuff on mount olympus Mm -hmm. and there's like centaurs and centaurettes which i thought was funny because you can just make anything female by adding et to it Mm yeah um Uh, bimbet bimbet yeah (laughs) Uh, just sorry correction before like uh, some people kill me it is beethoven's sixth symphony not his fifth Ooh, you're about to get canceled. I know. <laughs> um, yeah, so he gives a whole thing, describes the whole thing, which is good. It shows a bunch of, like, little centaurs, and they're bugging these, like, unicorn things, and there's these flying horses, and one of them, like, kind of can't fly, but he does, and made me wonder if, like, in a way, this is on Mount Olympus, it has, like, Zeus and everything in it. Is this a Hercules prequel? Well, Zeus... I would say definitely follows very similar similar design. It does. The, I remember one of the earlier times I watched it with the kids, and the, they're watching, and then just they're like, and then he shows up and just like, look, it's Zeus. And just like, mm. okay, yep. yeah. You. I didn't think about that either. I did a, notice that he looked similar to. Yeah. Him. Is this like a point in time before the events of Hercules, where mm-hmm. we see these gods just throwing lightning at the world? Yeah, believe me, it's still timid in comparison with actual Greek mythology. Yeah. True. 
So we get around to the centaurettes who are topless for some reason. There's a um, lot of nudity in this film. Just, yeah, titties to the wind. Um, I don't know. Some of them have them out. Some of them have... Or tastefully covered. Yeah. Or taste, even though, like, they're tastefully covered is, like, flowers that are very suggestive with it. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, tastefully covered. Some of them are free. Some of them are covered. There's just these random babies. Yeah. Cute, like, the <laughs> cupids almost. Cupids, yeah, but they're just there like i don't really know how to explain them they're just around and it made me realize like they could not animate a different baby they just animated the exact same baby multiple times with a slightly different hair color yeah uh, it was like some animations pretty good others pretty lazy yeah <laughs> so yeah we got some sad centaurs there's like a sad centaur dude and a Sad centaurette. And what color are they? They're blue. Oh, they must be sad. Yes. <laughs> and then there's the babies, and they're, like, not okay with this, so they're just, like, gonna try and get them to bang. And then my next line here is, yep, they trying to get them banging. Just, because, like, it was weirded out. Like, why are these babies trying to get these animals to bang? But they are. Because they're cupids. Yeah. They want love. So the baby close a curtain behind these things that are presumably having sex with each other while all of these little identical babies watch them like i don't sure um they close curtains and we get uh, a false ending which by the way is actually a theme through the, this entire piece oh yeah there's like four different endings in this it's, it's return kept, of the king all over again yeah exactly like i just kept being like all right this says good thank god that's over like it's done and then also just fades back in with more it's like all right sure so we've got another false ending there there's a bunch of like little goat people i guess and they're gathering food now and um uh satyrs or fawns. Oh, fawns, okay. Like Mr. Tumnus? Yeah, exactly, like Mr. Tumnus. <laughs> oh, I love Mr. Tumnus. Uh, <laughs> Who doesn't love Mr. Tumnus? That was uh, James McAvoy before he was famous. Did you say James McAvoy? James McAvoy. I, I got half hung up on that and half... Holy <laughs> shit, you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's who it is. I couldn't decide which to be more outraged with. <laughs> I was confused because, like, who is that? I know who plays him, and then I realized it was just the emphasis that you put on the name that confused me. Okay. That's funny. Well, sorry I mispronounced that name. I didn't get the letters wrong, just the emphasis. Yeah, Yeah, it was just the emphasis. It just confused me for a second there. (laughs) Uh, So these little, like, goat people are animated kind of in such a way that I would 100% believe that one of them grew up to be Phil from Hercules. Yeah, mm. I'm thinking that's the right name. Yeah, I haven't seen Hercules in years. That you are, years. you are, per, you are correct. Okay, in, yeah. In Devito's role. Yeah, Devito. There we go. It, I just, I don't see why not. Sure. <laughs> they look exact, which leads me back to: Is this a Hercules prequel? Which it mm-hmm. might be. So we get the feast. Um, they're gathering like food, whatever. We meet Fat Caesar, otherly known as as Bacchus. Bacchus, uh, as we learned, or uh, Dionysus. Or Dionysus. God. Which is the god of wine and the harvest. God of wine and the harvest. That explains a lot because he drinks a lot of wine. In fact, I have him down as a uh, fat drunk Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> Which just makes sense. It reminds me of silent drunk Gwendolyn in my Importance of Being Earnest production. 
Um, but that's a deep was cut that inside that? joke as well. You weren't. Oh. No, that was that was a that was a deep cut specifically for Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> so, fat drunk Caesar is being his fat drunk self and decides he needs to have sex with this horse lady. Sure. So he's like trying to get it on, and it starts raining. By which I marked in my notes by saying, "It's like Ray Yane on your wedding day," because he's trying to bang this horsewoman i thought it was appropriate yeah suddenly mufasa comes out from the clouds no actually it's not mufasa it's zeus or something like that (laughs) it is definitely zeus (laughs) he's just chilling up in the sky he's throwing down electrical bolts and he's just doing his thing everyone's like hiding fat drunk caesar's like running from the lightning and it causes like this giant wine flood which makes fat drunk caesar very happy because if there's some one thing that fat drunk caesar enjoys it's being drunk (laughs) um storm's over uh zeus like passes out all the leftover like lightning bolts just fall off of him and like underneath them a bunch of people like drink a rainbow uh some unicorn donkeys fly into the rainbow uh then a giant blanket covers the earth and everybody goes to sleep someone shoots an arrow and then there's some shooting stars Mm -hmm. and that is the end of the pastoral symphony (laughs) so the guy that that puts the blanket over everybody is actually morpheus god of sleep oh he just recently had his own show now oh interesting the sandman oh yeah yeah yeah. i haven't actually got around to watching that one uh one thing i i that bugs me about how they introduce this this uh segment is that he's actually introducing all these like greek gods or and stuff but he uses almost almost all of them he uses their roman names except for zeus because hmm. in roman mythology zeus is jupiter and hmm. but then he refers to all these other ones like like bacchus which yeah. is the roman one for that and and uh, instead of artemis he says diana for goddess of the moon and stuff mm-hmm. and it's just it's just really annoying that they that they use roman terms maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe uh, uh swan jason swan would would concur with me on that irked on that Who knows? yeah i definitely didn't notice <laughs> yeah no i didn't i didn't pay that much but i can see it. why that would be irksome for sure yeah because nobody refers to him as jupiter there's always like nobody even remotely thinks of him as jupiter there's always there's always zeus the other ones nobody ever pays close enough attention to their names to notice the difference fair Anyway, that was the Pastoral Symphony. It was alright, except again, I kind of lost track of what it was about, or even Mm. for, by the end of it. Yeah, it was alright. Following that, we had Pageant of the Hours, which is like, clocks? I don't... I don't think it's clocks because it's um, more just about the pa- like it's, it has to do with time. I'm not sure. It's called page- pageant of the hours, though, right? So yeah, because because each each of the different seg- parts of the of the the segment has to like the different ballerinas represent uh, different time of day. Time of day. So there's yeah. the morning, daytime, evening, and night. Yeah, yeah. No, I just wasn't sure about the name. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's called Pageant of the Hours. Kind of opens with curtains. It's more of a theatrical kind of presentation. Starts with an ostrich ballet, which is cool. I, I love it. Yeah, like it's it's good. They make for like a good cartoon, cartoon ballet. Ostrich wakes up other ostriches. They do like a synchronized dance. I kind of liken it to synchronized swimming, but I don't know what to call it when it's not in swimming. A it, ballet. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're all eating fruit. Um, we move away from the ostriches into a hippo. Uh, hippo is doing ballet very um, gracefully. Yep. 
Just uh, like me. <laughs> and there's a whole show. There's a whole bunch of hippos, and they're all doing ballet and doing everything. And then hippo gets sleepy, and it like lies down and goes to sleep. And then elephants come in, and they're doing a ballet, and they're blowing bubbles like out of their nose. And there's like a fish swimming in a bubble, which made me question the physics of this. Well, believe me, the elephant was weirded out too. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> But I, I accept it just because it's probably a dream scenario in, in the world. Anyway. Yeah. So um, there's a fish in the bubble. Uh, all the elephants, they kind of like dance around the sleeping hippo. Mm-hmm. Just kind of the hippo sleeps on a couch and they dance around it in a ballet-like motion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they all get, the elef- elephants kind of get blown away. We get like this darkness and then we see these crocodiles come out and they can climb walls for some reason. Again, not going to question it because I feel like the answer is magic of Disney and I'm not ready to hear that again. I, my <laughs> um, question is, you accept these but you won't accept the mop buckets. The mop buckets were in a realistic situation. Is it? They're so magic is- brooms. <laughs> How is that realistic? But he only chopped up the broom. He didn't chop up the buckets. The buckets weren't magic. The broom was. Mm, I don't know. He only enchanted the broom. He didn't enchant those buckets. I feel like you have to suspend disbelief a little more than you are. That's that's not how it works. <laughs> uh, anyways, a croc- croc- crocodile can climb walls. Uh, so they climb walls. Uh, they sneak up on this sleepy hippo. And the crocs talk to each other but it's silent because this entire movie is just music there's no dialogue i only make note of it because it's the one part in disney plus where the subtitles came on because i i guess i had them on yeah the whole movie but all of a sudden it just popped up and it's like no dialogue this music continues as it is yeah i noticed that too (laughs) i was like oh okay just had to like reassure us like he's speaking but don't worry he's not saying anything yeah, Which, I mean, I mean, is fair for the hearing impaired community. Yeah, um, but I just, I just thought that was it was just like subtitle. But out then of again, nowhere. if you're a hearing impaired, why are you watching Fantasia? That's a good point, actually. It would be pretty boring based without off the music. Of music. Anyway, so I start to wonder if this guy's a vigilante croc because he's got a cape and he's doing vigilante like stuff. But then he's kind of like in love with the hippo, but then like hippo runs away from him, and then the hippo comes back but she jumps and like starfishes and i i think they're going for like a dirty dancing kind of thing with the hippo but the hippo just kills not kills the croc but like in it would have killed the croc Uh, yeah a hippo landing on a croc (laughs) that crocodile would be dead let's just be real (laughs) anyway um but he's all good though so they get up and they dance and i wrote here that the hippo flaunts dead ass because it does for some mm. reason. Um, when you got the junk in the trunk, what else are you going to do? I guess, right? Well, that, that brings me to one of my things. It's just like, this is an interesting thing on body positivity. Yeah. I guess, yes. You love yourself. Yeah, the funny yeah. thing is, this is not the first time today that I've said, when you've got the junk in the trunk, what else are you going to do? I have <laughs> said that today twice. That's funny. Wow. That's a weird that, that, thing. That, yeah, that's not something I would see you saying usually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so something happens and the hippo tries to run, but is like blocked by, by like the other crocodiles because there's like a bunch of crocodiles in capes, not just the one she's mm-hmm. in love with. And it's kind of like definitely got rapey vibes out of that whole situation. It just 
did, I guess. But it's okay, because the dancing hippos come to the rescue. Hmm. And they like they come in, and then they like the dance fight, like in West Side mm-hmm. Story, which is just fun. I like dance fight. Well, that's a great use of the climax of the piece. Yeah, it should have made it a break dance fight, but whatever. We got what we got. Some crumping. <laughs> yeah. So like this crocodiles, they're riding the ostriches for some reason. The elephants are here to help, maybe I guess, but they're just dancing. But they're also fighting, so I'm not quite sure. But then there's like this big giant pose, and then like door slam, and that's that's pageant of the hours. I can't tell you what it was about, or necessarily what happened, <laughs> but it was enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoyable is like a good word mm-hmm. for it. Um, last one. Uh, it's kind of a double one. Night on Bald Mountain for slash Ava Maria. Ave. Ave Maria. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, this one's actually pretty badass, not gonna lie. Yeah. There's a big giant castle and it's all like haunted and horror movie-ish. And then there's a giant like horned king. And he's got like big giant wings and like giant horns and like glowing eyes. He's basically the devil. Mm-hmm. They basically they, they literally in, introduce him as Satan. Yeah, they basically explain it that he is like Satan and Bald Mountain is like the one place where all the demons come out to play at night mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, so there's this like shadow monster that comes and like wakes up all the f- like ghosts that are like represented by floating skeletons mm-hmm. in the movie. Um, they like float to the mountain. And it's really cool the effect that they used to to get those skeletons floating through. It looked cool. It did look very fake, though. Mm-hmm. Like just, yeah. But it was 1940s, so what can you do? So yeah, shadow monsters waking out the floating skeletons, trying to raise the dead to music, essentially. We got all these ghoulies, ghosts and ghoulies, flying to the mountain. They fire and they like go around the Horn King and like all the people, which I assume are like demons. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not, like, people. I refer to them as people, but, like, I assume they're demons, but they're all dancing. And then the Horn King, like, throws them all into the fire for some reason, which, again, I didn't understand. But then there was people on fire in his hand, but then they were, like, on fire but dancing. And this is the moment where I realized that, like, it was very, very dark with, like, lighter stuff put on top of it kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it reminded me of Batman the Animated Series quite a bit. So, like, oh, so interesting. With, like, dark cells with with light paint on top yeah like i don't think that's how they accomplished it Mm -hmm. but like just the feel of it reminded me of batman the animated series just the way they had like the super dark composition with the Mm -hmm. the brightness in front of it um so i thought that was pretty good um so yeah basically all the ghosts and ghoulies just dance around and party and get lit on fire with the horned king uh, until he hears a bell or a couple bells and he gets all scared, and all the demons start to like recoil, and oh, whatever. And <laughs> this, like, this is pretty cool because like it shows like flashing and stuff, and it's a very good moment. Like I'll say, the animation was generally pretty good throughout the film, but this, like, this part, I, I like it stood out to me as like this is pretty good. Like they handle their, mm-hmm. like, their lighting and how they animated the whole horned king and everything really well at this part all the ghoulies leave bald mountain they like float down to their graves i mm-hmm. guess back to where they were uh the sun comes up the horned king goes to sleep and then it transitions into the ave maria segment of it which is kind of like there's some people with torches and they're kind of like walking around they're kind of like monks yeah kind of like monks and they're singing ave maria and then like the sun comes up and then it's like all bright and it's like happy and it's a brand new day which is good um, so that is Fantasia. 
there's a little bit of a closer, I think, with the composer at the end? Not really, I don't think. I think it just... Just ends from there? Pretty much. I don't remember, yeah. But definitely a movie I had to watch in two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Honestly, yeah, I, I would almost recommend it. Especially if you were watching with the Rite of Spring, the intermission is a nice stopping point. Yeah, yeah. It, did, it did make the movie a lot more manageable. Because when I was like halfway through the first time, I was like, I don't want to watch this movie anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so watching it in two, two definitely helped. I say props to the animation team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's my beat. All right. So I got a couple of things to talk about with my deep dive Disney. So first of all, like the animation, like the artistry that goes into this is just really interesting to think about like the process of taking a piece of music and using that as your as your foundation. That is I don't know how much other the only thing there's one other thing I can think of now that uses that that has used that and that's a recent film, uh, Baby Driver. Oh yeah. Because Baby Driver took some songs and just like was just like okay, let's build a scene around this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it's it's not the sa- not quite the same, but it's yeah. No, it, I mean I'm not sure if it's like the same, like to a degree. But I feel like like the f- at least the first Guardians did that. Ah, yeah. Like they really built around mm. a, d- a good yeah. music of it. Yeah, the soundtrack is pretty important. Yeah. yeah. All right, but yeah, like just the concept of taking a piece of music, like a like taking the Nutcracker Suite and throwing some animation to it and making it visualize, uh, being able to visualize it. Even like the Takata and Fugue one, they were very clear of as to what it is. Like it's music for music's sake. That's that's what it is. There, the the musical piece does not have a plot to it. It it doesn't even have any standard progression. It's just yeah. a, an amazing piece by by Bach. But it's just really interesting to see it and experience music in a in a that medium because like how you would feel if you were in a concert hall because not every not everybody can afford to go to a concert hall. Like, sure. like we were really lucky with our booth days. Yeah, absolutely. Being able to do that, and I, yeah, I definitely wish I could go take my kids to. Yeah, to I an, could never a symphony. Yeah, like, like that's something I, I would love to be able. Didn't to Didn't we take only have to pay like ten dollars a ticket when booth would get tickets? Yeah, that was it. We ten, it was ten bucks. Yeah, it that, was, it was really cheap. So that I mean, anybody that are of our listeners, I mean, like paying ten bucks to go to a symphony, that's nothing. Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah, like you got. These wonderful sequences, Bald Mountain especially, is just absolutely brilliant. And just seeing how they translate these certain spots, and then having to time it to certain like like movements. Like, yes, there were certain ones that were exaggerated, like with the Stegosaurus dying. That yeah. were really using that. Died those, like three times. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was almost Boromir all over again. <laughs> yeah he did die for a long time yeah so another thing that i really like to to think about or that an interesting thing to observe with this film is its take on on religion because i could see four different perspectives in this film on on religion so we got evolution right with the rite of spring mm-hmm. we have mythology with the pastoral yeah we have paganism with sorcerer's apprentice was just like magic and, and like sorcery mm-hmm. kind of stuff like that that's what i would consider it i could that one's a little weaker than the other ones but it's still yeah. pe- like that's what i would observe it as it's like a paganistic uh i would argue that it uses like paganism in it but it's not necessarily like 
The Sorcerer's Apprentice doesn't offer like a very strict viewpoint on paganism. Yeah, but but then you also go to de- demonic and hell and and, and yeah. heaven with mm-hmm. with Bald Mountain and Ave Maria. So it's just like you got four or three point five, <laughs> three point five different viewings on on religion, and they are very different. At the very least, you're looking at at Bald Mountain and Ave Maria versus Evolution in the yeah. same film. Yeah. That's true. Like, those don't go together. People that have those viewpoints do not mix. You're Like, a lot of the times people are just, like, really hard on one or hard on the other and not going anywhere close to each other. They don't want to do that. Like, they don't want to commingle, in, in, especially in a single art form. Mm-hmm. That's just... What, what, what do you think on that? It makes sense. Yeah. I think it also depends on who you're talking to and, like, what their beliefs are. Like, for example, I obviously consider myself a Christian and I believe in God. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't not believe in evolution. I just don't believe in all aspects of it. Right. You know? Yeah. So, it, like, it depends. Mm-hmm. But I definitely see what you mean with it. Very stark yeah. contrast between the two. Uh, so then I also want to talk about one cool thing is uh, the technical aspects of this film is that I don't know if you have this uh, in one of your fun facts Sarah but uh, Fantasia was a specific pioneer of a certain sound yeah. technique uh, Fanta sound um, so Fantasia get a little uh, early fun fact today Fantasia mm-hmm. was recorded at Stokowski's Academy of Music where the Phil- Philadelphia Orchestra played and they used a new recording method called Fanta sound that recorded nine separate tracks, isolating parts of the orchestra, which was then mixed down to three tracks with other special effects added so that when you heard the music, it would immerse you and make you feel like you were there. So they brought like tons and tons of equipment to Philadelphia in order to be able to do this. And then they only released the film in 13 theaters because they had to put in special equipment to make Fanta sound work in the theaters. <laughs> and because of World War II, it was really difficult to get the equipment needed and Fantasia also wasn't recouping its costs at the box office. Not even um, So Fantasound upgrades in theaters cost $85,000, which today would be about $1.5 million. So they made this whole new thing, this whole new sound system, in order for people to be able to hear the music as they wanted them to. So it was but, like you were there. But here's the thing about it, is that that, that Fantasound translates into, into stereo surround sound. Yeah. So, Fantasia is the very first movie with stereo surround sound. Yeah, Walt Disney really wanted to make a big deal out of things. (laughs) Well, he wanted to emulate the effect of being in a symphony. Because you would Mm -hmm. feel the sound being all around you. Yeah. Brandon, you edit two tracks together. Imagine taking nine down to three into one. Yeah, that would kill me. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> the podcast alone takes you so long to edit. Yeah. <laughs> Another part of this film that actually has been edited out since its release. Yes. And yeah, I guess yeah. we'll talk about that with with Sarah's part. Yeah, it's, I mean, you can touch on it too if you want to. It's indefensible. Yes. Like it is. There, in the Pastoral Symphony, I did not know about this until I he- heard about it in a different podcast, but there's this character, apparently named Sunflower, yeah, who is a smaller centaur 
who is such bad blackface and servitude to the other fairer centaurs because she is like blackface ugly and just like this like almost like this looks like Jim Crow stuff level stuff like caricatures of a of a black girl yeah it's just so bad that, yeah. like this was edited out in the 60s which is yeah like er like mid mid or early 60s and it's just like yeah this is this is beyond woke America this is like <laughs> yeah there's no there's no there's no uh oh this is a product of their time this is just like no this is bad nobody should watch this now yeah <laughs> like there's certain things that yeah I can understand maybe considering editing it out like you know like the cigars and all that kind of crazy stuff from Pinocchio and like it's just like you kind of like you know it's a little different but there's no getting around having to edit this thing out yeah it's so bad one uh, final thing I wanted to talk about is kind of like a question and I'll talk uh, so the question is if um, you were to take a piece of music like uh, classical music and which which kind of classical music piece would you want to be fantasiaized? Oh gosh. I don't really pay attention to the names of pieces, so I can't really answer that. <laughs> um for me, like I would have to go with one of my favorite composers and that would be uh, be Tchaikovsky. And like he's already had a piece translated, but um his his March Slave which is sort of like um, it almost sounds like it belongs in the Middle East to me. Mm-hmm. It sounds like something that would go with like a desert march. Yeah. But uh, that that's mine, uh, Brandon. Um, it would probably be between uh, again Tchaikovsky's eighteen twelve overture or. It would be Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. Oh, I know that one. I like that one. I, that, I ooh, agree. Yeah, that would be beautiful. That's a good Beethoven's one. Moonlight. Oh, that would just be like a nice, and it's nice and short too. That, yeah. that would be just such a sweet little scene of like that could be a like a like a quick romance short. Yeah. Holy crap, that would work perfectly. Like... All right, Brandon, you're in front film school. Make it happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, film that. <laughs> Yeah, just a silent film to Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. Yeah, it'd be all right. You don't have That'd to pay be royalties. Cool, actually. That's true. Yeah, you don't. For you that. don't owe royalties on that stuff. You don't have to pay for it, <laughs> which is good because finding music for films is hard. Yeah, remember back in the day when we were gonna make a TV show together? And you were you gonna what, cast me in it. Do you I'll know what happened to, to that? No. Oh boy, buddy. What? <laughs> I have, I have turned that into almost every art form possible. Really? I've, I've taken Floyd. I made a one-act play out of it, directed it, and, like, staged it in Edmonton. Wow. Yeah. That's it, really cool. It did not turn out well. Oh, no. <laughs> no. It was, like, I don't know. It's probably, like, it was a one-act play. So there was only, like, 15, 20 pages, maybe 20-something. And we got like two minutes in and my actress forgot her lines and then decided to skip like eight pages to like, just, she just jumped to the next part that she knew, which ended up cutting out all of the like important stuff. So like the part that she ended up skipping to was like, 
basically she gets assaulted within like half a page and it just like jumped right out of like hey how are you like nice to meet you i'm doctor whatever um yeah and then she forgot her lines and then it was like okay now i'm i'm gonna attack you because you jumped like eight pages ahead wow yeah well what i was gonna (laughs) say is if you make the moonlight sonata silent film I'll come to Winnipeg and you can cast me again. But maybe we need to redo Floyd as well. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Well, that will actually make that work. <laughs> yeah. Um, what Are there any uh, uh, composers that you like more than others? I yeah. really honestly don't pay attention to it. Hmm. Like, it's not that I don't like classical music. I just... You just hit play on, on a playlist on classical and just like, okay. Yeah, I don't pay attention to who it was or what it was called. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, there's one that I know, but the only mm-hmm. one other one I can even think of right now is Clara Lune, and it's because of Twilight. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, one thing I almost forgot is um, uh, with uh, Night on Bald Mountain sequence, they actually introduced it with like a, an interesting history on the on on Halloween itself, and this makes me think of um, kind of like the Christian thing of like. A lot, lot, a number of Christian people really hate Halloween and just like try not to observe it, or just like think it's just like, oh, it's so awful. Uh, mm-hmm. Brings me like, it reminds me of something that my mother has taught, has taught, in or even done in sermons, is that ha- Halloween is actually has like clear history on 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 its um, origins, which is All Hallows Eve which is like mm-hmm. the the day before a very holy day so that's when the darkness comes out is on all hallows eve is because before that it's a very holy day so like i guess november 1st would be considered like the super holy day so then so then even in bald mountain it it pretty much observes that because like the clanging of the bell is just yeah. like okay bringing bringing halloween to an end right. so it's really cuz i don't like the idea of, of christian what's the what's the sex the sex term like the the one where you're like uh like not abstinence abstinence (laughs) okay like just abstaining from halloween yeah yeah thank you (laughs) just my train of thought like abstaining from halloween just like saying no just no means no with halloween (laughs) see with my family my parents would still let us wear costumes to school, and then after school, we would pretend we weren't home when they were trick-or-treaters, and my parents would take us to the store, buy us each a whole bag of candy for ourselves, then take us to dinner and a movie. Nice. So I never trick-or-treated, but, like, I got a pretty sweet deal out of it, so I'm okay sweet. with it. So we still celebrated in a way. My trick-or-treating days involved finding costumes that could go over a parka. Yeah. 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 That's so Welcome to Canada! Yeah. yeah. Trick or treating is a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Even when even when there's no snow, it's still flipping cold. Yes, oh, yeah. that is true. So yeah, that is that is my deep dive. So on to fun facts and trivia with Sarah. We've already gotten a couple out of you. A little taste, yeah. All right. So to kick it off with the Sorcerer's Apprentice, he almost wasn't Mickey. Walt wanted him to be Mickey. But Stokowski was like, uh, what if we make him, like, a new character that's, like, an everyman that everyone can relate to and represents all people? And Walt was like, that's just Mickey. <laughs> and Stokowski's like, no, it's not. And Walt's like, yeah, it is. 
Um, so Walt was obviously right because everybody loves Mickey. <laughs> Couldn't have been anyone but Mickey. Disney character who yeah, could have I'm been. getting there. Okay, it sorry. also was almost dopey. Dopey? Uh, yeah. Like they would have just animated dopey in there? Yeah. Yep. Ha! Yeah. Could've so worked. it, yeah. I mean, He's Mickey, already. yeah, Mickey is wearing a dopey like costume with like the baggy sleeves and everything, but that's yeah. as close as it got. But yeah, it was almost a whole new character. It was almost dopey, but Walt was like, nah, it's gotta be Mickey. And he was right. Of course. Also, uh, at that point, Mickey wasn't nearly as popular. No, he wasn't. But Walt, it's, it's like he Donald just knew. That surpassed him a lot. <laughs> yeah, Donald, Donald Duck got real popular Still in like, yeah. the 30s, 40s. Well, and Snow White had just been so successful, so of course mm-hmm. they considered a dwarf for it, but... Yeah. Yeah, so we stuck with Mickey, and that's what we got, and it's paid off Classic. for sure. I don't know why you would argue with Walt Disney, personally, but, you know. I mean, success after success after success. Yeah. May as well just let him do his thing. Then let him have his failure. Yeah. Yeah. Um... And then another interesting thing, uh, Stokowski got his name on the posters with Walt Disney, which was unusual. Wow. Um, So this is a quote that I took right from the D23 blog. Um, One second. So it says, The maestro was famed for his masterful recordings, this is referring to Stokowski, uh, and radio appearances from the late 1910s onward, but even those who seldom listened to classical music knew the name Stokowski. His fame was such that he was featured on the April 28, 1930 cover of Time magazine. His second Time cover appearance was on the November 18, 1940 issue as the conductor of Fantasia. With his intense countenance, commanding stature, and wild ma- mane of hair, he looks like Harpo Marx, commented Walt as he watched Stokowski conduct the Fantasia score. Stokowski was the very image of what many people envisioned when they thought of a long-haired conductor. The charismatic orchestra leader was a natural for the silver screen, and the maestro starred in the 1937 hits The Big Broadcast of 1937, in which he conducts Bach's Toccata and Fugue in D, also used in Fantasia, and 100 Men and a Girl, the 100 Men being Stokowski's Philadelphia Orchestra. So when Walt and Stokowski bumped into each other at a Hollywood hangout, Chasen's in Beverly Hills, a meeting of maestro and maestro... Filmmaking history would soon be made. So he got advertised on the poster because he was also very famous. That's really cool. Nice. Yeah. Uh, When Walt heard Rite of Spring, he decided the animation should be prehistoric animals, and they actually used pet iguanas and a baby alligator as inspiration for the animation. Hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, the interesting thing to consider in regards to that animation is that prior to this, the only real dinosaurs they'd audiences had seen had been from movies like king kong yeah, right that's true. so like stop motion yeah. yeah um for night on bald mountain the director initially had bella lugosi pose for chernabog um Ooh. yeah pretty cool best known for dracula, dracula. Uh, but the animator wasn't satisfied so he actually ended up having the director of the film who was a very skinny man take off his shirt and pose instead and that's what they used they had the ballerina irena baranova from the american ballet theater which was then just called ballet theater pose for the dancing ostrich mademoiselle upanova because mm. um, they often would use real life models for their animations mm-hmm. yeah 
And then, with the exception of musicologist Deems Taylor's narration and a brief congratulatory exchange between Mickey and Mr. Stokowski, there's no spoken dialogue in Fantasia, and perhaps that's why the name of its characters, such as Mademoiselle of Nova, are not generally known. In addition to her balletic co-stars Hyacinth Hippo and Ben Alligator, there's Little mm-hmm. Hop Low, the film's original general release trailer termed him the Dopey of the Mushrooms, <laughs> Peter Pegasus, the Black Baby Flying Horse, and Bacchus's tipsy donkey, Jacchus. Last, but certainly not least, is the name of the mighty sorcerer himself, which Zach has mentioned, Yensid, and if you're not sure what that means or what it signifies, just spell it backwards, and it is Disney. Uh, yeah. Yeah, most, pretty much anybody that is, like, versed in any disney trivia knows that one yeah it's a it's it's a stand it's a standard trivia question yeah that's fair uh there was a select group of men who brought fantasia to life and one of them who was a story director named joe grant actually worked on fantasia 2000 as well Mm. so he had a long career (laughs) damn yeah Yeah. um i think he came out of retirement for that yeah Walt wanted to use widescreen, 3D, and actual scents, like perfume for the wildflowers and gunpowder for the sorcerer's magic to, like, waft into the theater, because he wanted this to be a whole immersive experience, but none of those actually happened. But he was right about widescreen and 3D being good ideas, because obviously they are very commonly used now. They've introduced smells into theaters, too. That's uh, 4D. 4D, yeah. Yeah, 4D. That's theme parks. Less... Less common than widescreen Less and 3D. Common. But that's what he wanted to do with all this and just didn't no. pan out back then. Well, he still ended up using them. He used them with Disneyland. Yeah, yeah but not mm-hmm. in the original work for Fantasia. A, yeah. Um, now, I would love to, like, if I went to Disneyland and to, that would be an amaz- amazing thing. Even if it's just not, not even in, in Disneyland, just like in one of those um, those smaller Disney areas and they had just Fantasia playing in a 4D theater. That would be yeah. pretty cool. It would be pretty cool, probably. Throw some shaking chairs in with the dinosaur rumbles yeah. and all that. And, yeah. And some nice spring scents or whatever with the... Or fall yeah. scents with the falling leaves and the wind blowing with those. And I'll really make it happen, awesome. Zach. I'll just stand behind your chair and I'll shake you and I'll throw <laughs> smells in your face. Uh, and As long as you don't blow in my happen. face, then we're good. I'm not going <laughs> to do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't really intend to breathe on people ever again after the pandemic. <laughs> that is a good choice. <laughs> Not that it was something I commonly did before, but, you know. Um, I have another thing pulled right out of D23. Uh, it says, on February 26th, 1942, the Motion Picture Academy of Arts and Science- Sciences honored Fantasia at its annual Oscar ceremony. The Board of Governors voted to present the Revolutionary Motion Picture and Music meld two special awards, both presented by Academy President and 20th Century Fox mogul Daryl F. Zanuck. The first went to Walt and the developers of Fantasound for outstanding contribution to the advancement for the use of sound in motion pictures through the production of Fantasia. The second, sorry, technical Oscars. Yeah. The second was presented to Stokowski and his associates for their unique achievement in the creation of a new form of visualized music in Walt Disney's production of Fantasia, thereby widening the scope of the motion picture as an art form. And that same evening, Walt became the fourth producer ever to receive the Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award, occasionally given for consistent creativity and excellence in production. 
The previous Thalberg honoree, David O. Selznick, presented the award, and while it was for Walt's body of work and not Fantasia specifically, he praised the groundbreaking Disney feature in which established music was used as the complete basis for the creation of the picture, which contributed to the musical education of the public. So, hmm. pretty pretty big year yeah. at the Oscars. Well, it's like special achievement awards, yeah. essentially. Like, but it's like, like what like what we've been saying is Fantasia was technical ab- abilities and achievements all around, even just for the nature of film, not just animation, but film. Yeah, yeah. was yeah. astounding. It was huge. Um, the soundtrack for Fantasia was quite desired by people, but it wasn't actually released until 1957. And then the CD was released in 1991 and sold 100,000 copies that year. And classical recordings were considered a huge hit if they sold a tenth of that amount. So it was very successful. Wow. And they reissued it in 2001. And you can get it on iTunes now. Because, of course, they got to keep course, up with yeah. the times. I did find a, a, a Fantasia CD at a garage sale. Except for it was a two-disc set. And I only got one of them. So uh. it... it yeah, it only plays. It only plays up until the right of spring. Ugh. Oh no! So it's no <laughs> night on Bald Mountain. Yeah, that's too bad. I know, cause that one, that see, that sound track, uh, that score, it's a good or score. piece, I guess. That piece is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, with World War Two and the need for all the equipment for Fanta Sound, um, they only released in thirteen theaters, and Fantasia didn't recoup its costs, but. Disney didn't care because he was like, this movie's just necessary, so we're just going to do it anyways. And then he later started showing segments of Fantasia on his TV show, The Disneyland Story. Uh, But Fantasia has been released many more times, and it's now considered one of the highest grossing films of all time, with a total of over $83 million at the box office over time. So, they got there. Um, In the 60s, students were renting segments of it. And Disney knew that, so he re-released it in theaters in 1969 alongside a psychedelic ad campaign. (laughs) And at this point, people are getting really into psychedelic stuff, obviously, like Yellow Submarine and stuff like that. (laughs) Um, So they finally got their box office success. The president of Buena Vista remarked that Walt was just ahead of his time, and now their target audience, which was 18 to 30-year-olds, were finally catching up. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing about this like if it was successful walt's uh plan for it was to change the sequences yeah so like pull one and add a different one yeah and have it be an evolving experience mm. yeah yeah that was my next point he was gonna do a fantasia every year yeah um but that obviously didn't happen but they did use a lot of the stuff that he had developed for fantasia 2000 which was spearheaded by his nephew Roy E. Disney. Mm-hmm. So, um, the other cool thing about like the profits and stuff is the nineteen is the VHS release that that I talked about where my parents bought it. It was a a very massive success with the VHS. Yeah. When it was released, like prob- I think it was like their most their their biggest success in regards to uh, VHS releases at the time. Like it. Um, so much so that it was like actually astounded themselves like it was just like what the heck happened here like we just released fantasia on vhs and there's like a huge demand for this i guess it's the same thing about like the the sound the cd soundtrack yeah it's just people really wanted it yeah 
Um, so we played it at 13 select theaters and most of them were like theaters like where you'd see a play, not like a movie theater. Um, but one exception, there were two movie theaters they played at, one in New York and the other one was Carthay Circle Theater in Los Angeles. And now there's a replica of it as a restaurant in California Adventure as part of a tribute to Walt's Hollywood success. Uh, so you could eat there. Snow White also premiered at this theater. Um, the gala premiere for Fantasia was held at the same theater where Steamboat Willie had premiered 12 years earlier. So Mickey went from black and white ragged shoeless mouse to the heights of Mount Olympus in 12 years. Wow. Yeah. Pretty pretty big uh, journey for a little mouse. That's ridiculous when you think about it, but from the time between Steamboat Willie and Fantasia is only 12 years. That's, yeah. a, that's a huge jump. Yeah. yeah, they made a lot of progress there. Um, Walt was heard to say about this film, perhaps Bach and Beethoven are strange bedfellows for Mickey Mouse, but it's all been a lot of fun. He was just enjoying himself. Yeah, seems like it. Why not? Uh, Disney, this is the longest animated feature that Disney has, and it almost was longer, but they nixed a Claire de Lune, uh, feature, and that ended up in Make My Music instead. Ah, okay, I think I know that one. Yeah. Mickey was also drawn differently in this. They added pupils to his eyes, gave him a shorter nose, and his signature white gloves. And so this is the Mickey we know for the rest oh, of time. He didn't have his white gloves before this? Wow. Apparently yeah. not. Yeah, the animator here, I didn't write his name down for some reason, and now I can't remember it, but he was, like, credited with creating this signature look for Mickey. Well, it didn't go away for near a century. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another official model... For one of the characters, uh, the sorcerer was modeled after silent film star Nigel de Brulier, but the official inspiration was Walt, and they gave him Walt's signature eyebrow raise, and obviously named him after him as well. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, I'm almost at the end, which is good because my voice is starting to give out. Um, as we talked about earlier, there was the character Sunflower. So this is another quote taken from one of the sources I was looking at. It says, The Disney company's history is peppered with problematic depictions, and unfortunately the highly regarded Fantasia was no exception. The fifth segment of the film, called the Pastoral Symphony, features elements of Greek mythology. Among the centaurs and satyrs was a character known as Sunflower, a racist depiction of a black girl in centaur form with big lips, dark skin, and hoop earrings. Sunflower was shown shining the hooves of the other centaurs and performing other subservient tasks. Character was later censored, like Zach said, from prints of the film in the 60s. And Disney Plus actually has a disclaimer at the beginning of the film. I don't know if you guys noticed that. I did see that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And so. Yeah, you were wondering why that was there. Yeah. Other other <laughs> yeah. than the centaur nudity. Yeah, so much nudity in this movie. Yeah. Seriously. Very, like, subtle, but still. Yeah, no nips, but uh, yeah. definitely. There, there actually is body in, the, in Night on Bald Mountain. Is there nip symbol? Oh, yeah, they flash right up into the screen with oh. uh, harpies. Mm. Oh, I yeah. forgot that. I'm just thinking little, of the centaurs. They're nipples. Yeah. A little much. Even the fairies are a little bit yeah. naked. Yeah. Um, uh, so it took two years for them to restore the film for its 50th anniversary release. They worked really hard to get it ready. When they had re-released it, before that, it was copies of the original, not restorations. The blog I was reading this from said they were basically Xeroxing a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox. Like, just copying it over and over again. Holy. 
Um, so now they finally were restoring it, but they also had to work off of a copy of the soundtrack because they lost the original soundtrack. <laughs> Nobody knows what happened to it. Yeah, uh, Disney definitely improved their archiving after that. Uh, yeah. After a while. I think. I also read on one source that the film wasn't completed until four hours before its premiere in New York City. I couldn't fact check that. I don't know if it's true, but if it is, uh, like, wow. From my understanding of that fact, it yeah. had to do with the Ave Maria se- sequence. Oh, okay. Because the Ave Maria is a l- super long shot, and they actually had to use this massive uh, glass pane of mm. it that required this this camera work to be going, and it required, like, 18 hours in order to process, like, move this camera right. precisely along this, like, 18 feet of glass or something mm. like that. And they there were certain points where they would try to do it, and then, like, an earthquake hit it, and it, like, jostled it, and they had to start over again and things like that. Like, it was really not yeah that was a really hard shot to make yeah yeah that's crazy <laughs> uh listeners can't see this but as zach was explaining that to me his arms were flailing around with a sorcerer's apprentice mickey in his hands <laughs> that was yep. very amusing for me i don't i didn't notice you had him until now oh, yeah <laughs> yeah i brought him in for for our little picture yeah why not <clears throat> um let's see where was i uh, they lost the original audio also for Deems Taylor, his commentary, from the 1940 uh-huh. cut. So anything released after 1999 is actually dubbed by Corey Burton. Oh, so probably didn't even hear Deems Taylor. No. So, very interesting. Wow. And final can... fun fact before I get into the very short cast list. <laughs> uh, Walt collaborated with Salvador Dali for a segment that didn't actually make it into the film, but they later made a short film called Destino with them. And that one came in the Blu-ray set that I have. Oh, cool. That's really neat. Uh, It's also on Disney+. Plus. That makes sense. And finally, our cast. We have Stokowski, one of the most famous conductors in the world then. Deems Taylor, composer and musical critic and promoter. And Corey Burton, who is a Disney voice actor. He has 456 acting credits. Holy. Many, many, many Disney credits. I was not about to list all of them. He's got (laughs) a few characters that he's played consistently. Um, But he's also the voice at many attractions at Disney parks, and he's the voice of feature presentation on direct-to-video features. So he made a huge career for himself with Disney. Yeah. And that's it. That's all I got. Um, I, I'm not sure specifically about this, but um, I think the the line from Mickey Mouse, I think that was Walt, as well, because he did voice mm-hmm. Mickey Mouse for a while there. Yeah, I did. There was no credit on IMDb, so I wasn't sure. Yeah, but that would make sense. Mm-hmm. I don't know specifically because like. I, but I know that, that Walt did voice Mickey, so I think he wouldn't pass up the opportunity at that point to, to do that line. Yeah, yeah why not? Right? I mean, yeah, it's, it's interesting what... that they don't have it credited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, considering it's like one of the few actually spoken lines in the movie. Yeah, like Stokowski yeah. doesn't talk, does he? Because he doesn't respond to Mickey. Uh, he does a little bit. He, he says, he? congratulations to you, Mickey. Oh, yeah. right, right, okay. He does yeah. speak, yeah. Hi. 
it's very yeah he really doesn't he didn't seem to really enjoy what he was doing <laughs> <laughs> okay so now that we've done our our segments we're gonna go on to favorite musical slash uh like score moments should so we I just guess, say which segment was yeah I, yeah that's what we're gonna do we're gonna yeah. say which of these segments is is our uh is our favorite and okay do we want to also just say which are, is our favorite moment, or do we want, or do you think that would be separate? I think just segment is good because yeah. I don't have a specific moment. Yeah. I don't think. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Sarah, what's your favorite segment? Um, I do really, really love the ballet animals. Mm-hmm. I think they're hilarious and adorable. But my absolute favorite is the Nutcracker Suite segment. Mm. Um, first of all, like I said earlier, it gives me Tinkerbell vibes, and I <laughs> sure I mentioned this in our introductory episode, but Tinkerbell is my favorite Disney character. So, mm. give me Tinkerbell, and I'm happy. <laughs> um, did I give you a Tinkerbell sketch at one point? That's quite possible you did. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember most artwork that people have given me uh, is currently right now packed away mm. because I don't have frames for anything right now <laughs> and i'm very slow to unpack stuff like that there's not a lot of art on the walls of my house um but yeah so i really like that one i think the animation of the water droplets is really really good uh the falling glitter as the magic happens is beautiful the mushrooms are adorable they kind of remind me of the short with the bow the little bun oh yeah yeah uh, I like the upside down dancing flower buds where they look like they're gowns, kind of like Belle's gown. Mm -hmm. The fish I wrote down looks awfully familiar, like I mentioned before. Uh, I like the dancing plant. I like the dancing plants at the crescendo of the music. The ice skating is really beautiful and the way they do the snowflakes. And I personally love the idea that the fairies are changing the seasons for us because I really really want fairies to be real and i love them and i think they're fascinating it also is very reminiscent or i guess tinkerbell the movie is reminiscent of this because the fairies are changing the seasons in that movie okay so, so yeah brandon I, I love it i think i know which one's your favorite but yeah what what is your favorite um if i was, if i had to choose a favorite segment i would have to say it's the sorcerer's apprentice oh if anything just for like its iconic nature yeah, it's it's more most well known. It's the one I enjoyed the most. It's the one with the most like clear narrative of it. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I'd have to say it's the Sorcerer's Apprentice, probably my favorite segment. Yeah. Um, what I'm, did you think he was gonna pick? I was gonna think he was gonna say Night on Bald Mountain. <laughs> it's it's close because Night of Bald Mountain plays into my like my horror movie mm -hmm. love and stuff like that. Right. Um. But, like, I don't know. It, there's a point to it where it's also kind of boring. Mm -hmm. um, we have that long outro and we start fading into Ave Maria and stuff. And you kind of just got to, like, wait for the movie to fade out. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so it's, like, it's it's a close thing, but it's definitely the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Okay. Um, I'm going to seem a little weird here. I think my favorite is the Toccato and Fugue. It's... Interesting. It's just I don't know I just really like the experience, and I like the I like the instruments like it's it plays into my classical music like vibe of it mm. where it's just mm -hmm. like like I like I like the the feeling that you're experiencing the music not observing the music yeah right 
that's just I don't know that that's just might also become be, be because of how much history I have with the film itself. It's just like the, this goes back to even my like toddlerhood. Yeah, yeah. it's just feeling Takato and Fugue. It's just that's how Fantasia started. It's what I liked. Right. All right. So yeah. now I'm to the opposite end of the spectrum. I think, yeah, we uh, touched on this a bit. Our least favorite part of this film, or least favorite segment. Uh, Sarah, what is your least favorite segment? Um, I mean, I don't like Rite of Spring. I also don't like Pastoral Symphony. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, generally speaking, I don't like Fantasia. <laughs> um, so I don't love a lot of the segments, but yeah, definitely Rite of Spring is the most boring one. Mm-hmm. I would agree with you. My Rite of Spring is the one that I've really just... Honestly, if I was with my kids, I would just say, kids, wake me up when this is done. Yeah. Just let me nap for the 20 minutes that this song is. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's about that long. It's just, like, ridiculously long. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, ugh. Like, the Stegosaurus fight and the T-Rex fight, it's interesting and I like it, but it is so short for the whole, for a 20-minute sequence. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon... Um, I'm definitely with you guys on Rite of Spring, but just to kind of, like, balance that out, I really didn't like the Pastoral Symphony. Mm. So I think I'm going to make that my top. Your bottom, you mean? Well, yeah, yeah, top of the worst, so (laughs) technically, yes, the bottom. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's interesting. It's... I wouldn't think of it usually being on the bottom, but yeah, I, I can see what you mean. It definitely is kind of like, it's like, hmm, you know, it just happens. It's yeah. mostly, honestly, it's mostly because I can't keep track of the storyline as it goes. You know, like yeah. I'm, I'm with it for the first little bit, and then all of a sudden it's just like, what the fuck is happening? Like I don't, mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah, it's at, just... At least Rite of Spring had some kind of progression. Yeah, like, I understood Rite of Spring all the way through. Mm-hmm. It was boring as hell, but, like, I understood it. Yeah. But the Pastoral Symphony, like, there's a part where it's just like, I'm not even sure if you guys know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I, that, that's where I gotta go with Pastoral Symphony in the end. Alright. So now we gotta go with final thoughts and a letter grade on this. Yeah. So, we'll start on a high note with myself. <laughs> oh, that's fine, I'm sure. Because um, I still love this movie. I am so proud that I've gotten my kids to love this movie, that they like to actually request Fantasia from time to time. And when I bring the DVD into the, the van with me uh, for for the uh, player, in, for our journeys, and they're like, okay, yeah, we'll watch Fantasia. It'll be good. good. We'll have a nice time of this. And... That makes me proud. Uh, right. I love the sequences. There's some that are boring. I sometimes I just like listening to the to the soundtrack. It's just really nice soundtrack to listen to. But it's yeah. but I definitely understand the lulling moments. There's sometimes there, there's a number of times that I just can't sit through this movie anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I've I've have I have it so firm in my memory that it's just it will at times put me to sleep or I use it as, as more of a distraction for the kids than for myself so I can't give this thing a perfect score because I, I would have to go on rewatchability for me and I can't do that anymore. So for me, I'm going to put this at a firm B. Mm-hmm. And that is 
that is my score on this film. Uh, Sarah? Uh, I am going to give it a C because I don't enjoy it, really. Um, I do find it generally to be really boring. I want to like it, but I, when Daisy asked me to turn it off, I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's watch something else. <laughs> like, it's just, it, I just don't like it. Um, but obviously I can appreciate what it did for the industry, mm-hmm. the beautiful artwork, the beautiful music. Like, it's not that it's bad. I just, it's not my thing. Mm-hmm. Hey, you gave it a higher score than Pinocchio, so. Yeah, I'll give it a C because I appreciate it, but I don't like it, and I'm not going to watch it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, like, I get it. Like, I get what they're trying to do. I hold, I hold very firm on my thought that it's basically, like, if Disney wanted to try and make cartoons appeal to distinguished adults, mm-hmm. um, make animation an art. Yeah, I think they obviously use classical music, so you can't necessarily knock the music because mm-hmm. it's classic. I think the animation is super good. I mean, not super good, but it's good. Yeah. It's a lot better than other animation we've seen i'd say it even looks better than like toy story let's say mm-hmm. <laughs> however like breaking it down i didn't like takata and fugue i didn't like the nutcracker suite uh i didn't like this rite of spring i didn't like the meet the soundtrack i didn't like pastoral symphony but i did like the sorcerer's apprentice dance of the hours and a night on bald mountain obviously so yeah, that's like a five out of eight, I think, or five that you didn't like out of eight. Yeah, five, five. that I didn't like out of eight. So I'm kind of with Sarah. I acknowledge the the classic nature of it and kind of how important it was to the film industry. So I'm going to end it out of C minus because I don't think I'll ever watch this movie again. Yeah. Um, it's just incredibly boring. I don't see the point in watching it again. I think I feel like this is the kind of movie you either like because you're trying to impress your friends with how like smart you are or you're like four years old and don't quite know about better movies <laughs> <laughs> oh you're not my kids my daughter or is there's six, nostalgia you, <laughs> yeah if there's nostalgia attached to it too yeah yeah so yeah c minus on fantasia okay so that is the end of our podcast uh our next episode will be on the next modern film, which is Aladdin. Hmm. Our favorite 90s comedian. <laughs> superstar. Yeah, so that'll be a really, really fun episode to go on to for after this one for you guys. I'm sure Brandon will enjoy the pop culture references. Yeah. <laughs> I really like how we are doing this because it's a nice palate cleanser to go to little mermaid or beauty the beast or aladdin like it's yeah yeah we'll deal with the crappy classic first and then we'll get a little better and then we'll get pixar for new yeah it's nice (laughs) uh yeah uh so i have to ask the question and after that review i don't i think i know the answer um (laughs) brandon are you a disney fan yet i cannot be a fan of any movie that i have to watch in two sittings so this did nothing to make me a Disney fan. <laughs> All right. Uh, Sarah, you want to tell the audience where they can reach us? 
Absolutely. So you can find us on Instagram at makingadisneyfan.pod. Please give us a follow, give us some likes, DM us, you know, let us know what you think so far. Ask us questions if you want to. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, and you can also find us to listen on Apple Podcasts on Spotify. Please leave us a review, give us some stars, leave us a note, whatever you want to do, uh, because we love to hear from you and we'd love to see what our listeners are thinking. Uh, we have heard from a couple people who have personally reached out to, at least me, I'm sure at least Zach has heard from people. I don't know, Brandon, if you've heard from people yet about the podcast yet. No. For me, it's just my dad, really. <laughs> um, but it is nice to hear what people think. So those of you who we who have reached out to us directly, please feel free to reach out to us through a review on Apple Podcasts because it could really help us out. Um, but yeah, please uh, go find us in all those places. All right. I have been Zach, TTFN, ta-ta for now. I am Brandon, help control the pet population, have your pets spayed or neutered. Good night, everybody. And I'm Sarah, just keep swimming. All of our artwork is created by Becca Riley. You can go find her on Instagram at Becca Riley Art, spelled B-E-C-C-A-R-E-I-L-L-Y Art. Our theme song was written and performed by Marcus Beveridge. You can listen to more of his music on Instagram at marcus.and.sarah.music, performing alongside me, your favorite Making a Disney fan lady. We hope you'll come back for our next episode soon. Welcome to our new feature podcast. We are here to... Uh, actually, no, that doesn't work. Were you trying to be Crap. Deems Taylor? Kind of. <laughs> oh, okay. I should have actually written that out. Thank you for listening to Making a Disney Fan. We hope to see you next time. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow.